0: Hello, you're listening to the MyCare Champion Cast. I'm your host, Lucy Shimatero of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Each month, we invite industry experts and thought leaders to discuss relevant healthcare issues. Join us as we explore key topics that affect Michigan hospitals, health systems, and the health of our communities. Hello, and welcome to the MyCare Champion Cast. I'm Lucicia Matero, Assistant Director of Communications at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. For this month's episode, we're going to learn about a set of bills introduced in the Michigan legislature that proposes mandated nurse staffing ratios, which could worsen the existing staffing shortages and restrict important access to healthcare services for Michigan patients. We'll first hear from MHA CEO Brian Peters, who will give us a big-picture look at the bills, why it matters, and how to get involved. Following that conversation, I'll speak with Kim Meeker, a Michigan nurse and president of the Michigan Organization for Nursing Leadership, to cover what nurse staffing ratios would look like for Michigan nurses and patients. So with that, to kick off the conversation, I have MHA CEO Brian Peters joining me virtually. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Lucy. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you. Well, we, I think most people are aware you're also a co-host of the show, so we appreciate you taking the time to um, come and be interviewed.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I think the, uh, the MyCare Champion cast has really been a wonderful opportunity for us to spotlight some of the uh, emerging issues uh, that our members are dealing with and uh, hear from some real experts. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. Well, can you just start by giving us an idea of what exactly healthcare staffing shortages look like in Michigan currently?
1: Well, I wish I could tell you that uh, we had a, a rosy picture uh, to share, but the reality is our MHA Board of Trustees at their annual retreat last summer lifted up workforce as a top priority for our association. And the reason they did that is precisely because of these ongoing healthcare staffing shortages that unfortunately are very likely to get even worse in the months and years to come. But we just surveyed our member hospitals and health systems within the last couple of months, so very recent. Uh, information. We had a 95% response rate, so heard from uh, the vast majority of our members. And with that survey data, we now know that our Michigan hospitals are currently trying to fill over 27,000 positions, and 8,500 of those are for nurses. And so, you know, there are job openings right now that we are trying desperately to fill. That's the, the picture that we're dealing with.
0: Right. And there's a national shortage of 1.1 million nurses. Is that right?
1: Well, that's right. And why that matters is because, you know, we've always advocated uh, that Michigan should join the multi-state nurse licensure compact. And we still believe that would help uh, in some ways because it would make it easier for us to bring qualified nurses from other states. But the reality is every other state, including those that border Michigan, are dealing with this same issue. Uh, this is a national crisis. Uh, we know that the pipeline is currently insufficient to replace those nurses who are leaving the field. And, and certainly not just a Michigan problem, it's a national problem.
0: Yeah. And I know you've talked about this in the past, but obviously COVID exacerbated the staffing shortages. What What is leading people to either not join the nursing workforce or to leave the workforce? Well, COVID had a
1: number of uh, effects and, and certainly we had a nursing shortage that was getting worse well before the pandemic. And that had a lot to do with the demographic reality that, you know, we had, we had a very large number of nurses and, and quite frankly, other healthcare professionals who were uh, in that baby boomer cohort that was uh, getting real close to, were uh, actually in uh, that retirement age. And when the pandemic had uh, descended upon our, our hospitals here in Michigan, Uh, That work environment became incredibly stressful, as we all know, and our nurses were absolutely heroes for stepping up. But, you know, quite a few of them made a decision that, hey, I I was originally planning to work for maybe another couple of years full-time, and maybe now I'm going to scale back. I'm going to work part-time, or I'm going to elevate my retirement plans and, and just leave the field altogether. The other thing that happened as we got toward the tail end of the pandemic when businesses started to reopen and were desperate for for help, uh, there's never been a a better opportunity for those who wanted to leave healthcare and find work in another sector. Uh, Those Mm -hmm. job openings existed uh, in very large numbers, uh, signing bonuses, high hourly rates, all of that contributed to this departure, uh, unfortunately, a departure from healthcare, And that included nurses leaving the hospital setting.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I know I imagine we have listeners who aren't familiar with the history of nurse staffing ratios. So in simple terms, can you just describe what this package of bills aims to do?
1: Absolutely. And, and this is not the first time that we've seen these sorts of bills introduced right here in Michigan uh, this is uh, at least the fourth time that I can recall in my tenure at MHA where mm-hmm. we've seen bills introduced, uh, they've gone to a committee hearing in the House or the Senate, and we have always uh, risen to, uh, to the occasion and pointed out that while these uh, bills sound like a good idea on the surface, if you really peel back the layers of the onion and, and understand uh, the reality of our environment... Uh, then you you really quickly uh, come to the conclusion that uh, these bills would actually not make anything any better. In fact, they would complicate an already very tenuous situation. These bills, in a nutshell, would mandate, uh, a government mandate, uh, that hospitals have minimum uh, nurse-to-patient staffing ratios throughout the organization. Again, that sounds good. The reality is, as we just discussed, we have over 8,000 open positions that our hospitals, both large and small, urban and rural, are trying to fill today, and passing a legislated mandate would do nothing to change the fact that we simply can't hire enough nurses. Uh, All this would do, in effect, is set the hospital up for potential fines and penalties, uh, if they violated those, uh, those staffing ratio mandates or uh, if they wanted to avoid those fines and penalties, uh, what it would result in very directly is a loss of access to care because you would be forced to close units, to limit hours, uh, all of that uh, to say this would not be good for patients.
0: Right. And to your point earlier, it's not the absence of this law that has led to staffing shortages.
1: Not at all. There are several factors that have led us to the point that we're at now. Uh, Certainly, nurse burnout is real. Physician burnout is real. We, We don't ever want to diminish that because it's real and the MHA is doing everything we can uh, to combat that burnout and to make for a a safe and and healthy environment for all of our frontline caregivers, certainly including uh, nurses. But uh, the lack of a mandate uh, in terms of nurse staffing ratios did not create the situation that we're in today, and it will not help us to get out of this situation either.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, I know I'm going to talk to Kim a little bit about what it looks like from the nursing and patient side, but can you just touch on how this would impact patient care?
1: Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, in a state like California, where you've had these sorts of legislated uh, ma- mandatory nurse to patient staffing ratios in place for quite some time, uh, that's a state that is just like Michigan in terms of um, the uh, the shortage of nurses. In fact, they are short some 40,000 RNs uh, mm-hmm. in the California hospital community. And so, you know, you only need to look at, a, at California to see that um, these sorts of, of mandates really don't solve the underlying problem. But to your question, what would this do to access to care? Again, uh, hospital uh, leaders would have a very clear decision to make uh, do I remain open and available to everyone in the community, regardless of ability to pay on a 24-7, 365 basis, whether they need to deliver a baby or they come to the emergency room as a, an auto accident victim or a cancer patient needing uh, drug therapy, whatever the case may be? Do we continue to do what we're doing today? Uh, with the nursing uh, cohort that we have in place, which is the best we can do, it's the most we can hire and and staff up uh, and provide that continued access and risk uh, uh, running afoul of these mandates and having to pay fines and and be subject to all sorts of penalties, do I do that uh, and risk that sort of uh, reputational risk or uh, do I close units either permanently or temporarily, do I limit their hours, do I go on diversion and send ambulances and patients to the next hospital down the street because I can't meet those minimum staffing requirements? And guess what? The hospital down the street is going to be in exactly the same predicament. And so where does a patient go Uh, when hospitals make that decision that, hey, I have to follow the letter of the law, and that means closing down or limiting access. That's really the very stark reality. It's one that we saw and we advocated around uh, just recently when it came to access to anesthesia services. Imagine if you were in an auto accident uh, in the middle of rural northern Michigan in the middle of the night and you came to a hospital and you needed a procedure where you needed anesthesia in order for that procedure to occur under our old law, where CRNAs were not able to practice independent of physicians uh, oversight, uh, you would be told, I'm sorry, we can't provide that service here because if we do, we're running the risk of of violating the law.
0: Right. And then on top of that, they have to travel significant distances to get to somebody who is able to care for them.
1: Absolutely. And so now we've we've eliminated that Hobson's choice by virtue of the fact that we've passed our CRNA legislation just last year. The governor signed that that into law. And so now our hospitals have the option, there's certainly not a requirement, they have the option in terms of their anesthesia care model to utilize CRNAs. So we've eliminated that that Hobson's choice, if you will. I think very similar dynamic at place here, as I've just described.
0: So do you think it would be beneficial if hospitals and health systems were able to, if they wanted to have staffing ratios, they could make that decision for their system um, and just not approach it as a one-size-fits-all mandate?
1: That's right. In fact, the reality is uh, every single hospital in the state of Michigan has Uh, staffing ratios that they've identified for themselves on a unit-by-unit basis. What we have to understand is that every hospital is different in a number of ways, in terms of the education level of the nursing staff that they may have uh, on hand, in terms of the technology that they may have uh, access to, in terms of seasonality. Some hospitals Uh, They have an overwhelming number of patients in the summer uh, tourism months, but not nearly as many in the off-season. They may have an influx of patients on weekends, uh, but not Mm -hmm. so much during the week. They know about these uh, ebbs and flows. They know about the acuity level of their patient population that they serve in their community. What these staffing bills would really do is create a cookie-cutter approach, a one-size-fits-all approach that would really eliminate our nurse leaders' ability to look at the fundamental uh, realities of their local market and their local uh, hospital and the nursing staff that they have available, uh, really make this a... um, Uh, a a one-size-fits-all approach that eliminates any sort of incentive or opportunity for innovation. And I think innovation is going to be incredibly important as we move forward in Michigan healthcare. We want to do everything to encourage and incentivize innovation, and this sort of mandate would do exactly the opposite.
0: Right. And I know you touched on the fact that California is facing a nursing shortage of about 40,000 RNs, and they have nurse staffing ratios. And I don't think you mentioned this, those have been in place for 25 years. So that just goes to show that the deficit is not related to the legislation and the bills. Um, And that number is projected to increase by the end of the decade.
1: That's absolutely correct. And we certainly don't want to see that uh, here in Michigan.
0: Right. Well, you touched on, I appreciate you giving an example in rural Michigan, because you uh, did a podcast in Hillsdale with J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott just a couple of months ago. Um, And I'm curious what impact this legislation could have on rural hospitals and health systems who we know are already facing very unique and extreme challenges compared to their urban counterparts.
1: Well, that's right. And everything we've been discussing to this point about the potential impact of, of these bills, uh, even more so for our rural hospitals, because, you know, their margins uh, are, are much thinner They typically have fewer resources to bring to bear. It's more difficult for them to recruit and retain both nurses and physicians and and other healthcare professionals. And so uh, in these communities where the next closest hospital may be a very long distance away, those access problems that we've discussed, uh, you can imagine in a rural setting how severe that could become. Now, again, when we talk with our rural hospitals, they are trying as hard as they possibly can uh, to fill mm-hmm. the open uh, positions, particularly in the nursing field, um, that, they, uh, that they encounter on a daily basis, this would not make their life any easier. Uh, that, that's for sure. But we, uh, we stand prepared to work hand in hand with our rural members and, and all of our members to address this underlying challenge. And there are a number of ways we can get at it without having to resort to uh, an unwieldy and, and ineffective mandate.
0: Right. Have you heard feedback from our leaders in rural hospitals and health systems? Are they really concerned about this?
1: They're incredibly concerned. When I visit with our rural members, uh, consistently we hear a number of things. We hear about the 340B drug pricing program, Uh, We certainly hear about the importance of the Healthy Michigan Plan or Medicaid expansion, where we have folks who are uh, covered and have access to uh, primary and preventive services and emergent care uh, and the like who might otherwise be uninsured. So it's been a real uh, game changer in rural Michigan. And then the third piece that we hear about ever since the the introduction of these bills is how concerning uh, a nurse staffing mandate would be uh, to our rural hospitals. And in fact, uh, catastrophic is a word that I've heard on more than one occasion. This would be catastrophic uh, to their financial viability uh, and their ability to provide access to their communities.
0: Right. So outside of opposing bills of this nature, I'm curious what we, the MHA, and what Michigan hospitals have been doing to address staffing shortages.
1: Well, I'm very proud of the work that we've done in the last year uh, on this front. So uh, just going down a list, uh, we've obtained $300 million in state funding uh, that's benefited over 69,000 healthcare workers. This was funding above and beyond the traditional Medicaid budget negotiations, specifically identified for the recruitment, retention, and training of frontline healthcare providers. Uh, we secured mm-hmm. an additional uh, $75 million specifically for our hospitals uh, in uh, February of this year. The MHA is currently working with the state uh, to disseminate those funds uh, to our members. So, again, Again, that will directly benefit our nursing staff. Uh, we've certainly mm-hmm. worked with the higher education community, both uh, the community colleges and the four-year universities, to really expand nurse training opportunities and to expand the Michigan Reconnect program, which would allow funds to support Michiganders who are moving from an LPN, a licensed practical nurse degree, uh, to an RN, registered nurse degree, mm-hmm. or from a patient care technician certificate to an LPN degree, so upskilling, which is an incredibly important aspect of our healthcare uh, ecosystem uh, at this point in time. We talked about modernizing the scope of practice for CRNAs. That's been incredibly important. And then when you think about the burnout issue, for nurses, but for our other frontline caregivers, we've been very proud uh, to collaborate with the Duke University Center for Healthcare Safety and Quality and Dr. Brian Sexton, who's worked with the MHA Keystone Center to launch our Well Be initiative. We now have over 5,000 clinicians throughout our membership uh, who have actually uh, participated in this bite-size, as we call it, bite-size wellness uh, program. And it's really made a big difference. We actually have uh, data that is likely to be peer reviewed and included in a medical journal in the, uh, the weeks and months to come that shows a demonstrable decrease in the level of burnout among those who participated in this program. And so we're excited about uh, well-being and how we can utilize that going forward. So we've done a lot, but our job is far from over. Our board is uh, continuing to lift up workforce is a high priority for us. So I know in the year ahead, we'll continue to expand our efforts in this space. There's no question about it.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to provide a link to the WellBe programming in the description of this episode so that anybody that's interested can check it out because I have seen the statistics. I don't have it in front of me, but there was a significant decrease in emotional burnout reported after um, from those who participated in the program from the beginning to the end. It was significant. So what action do we need to see from lawmakers to support our healthcare workforce right now?
1: Well, we need them, first and foremost, to protect all of our MHA board-supported priorities in the state Medicaid budget. Uh, because at the end of the day, without a financial viability, it's difficult for us to uh, accomplish any of our objectives, including our objectives uh, with nurses and in the workforce space, generally speaking. So uh, all of the things that uh, traditionally are included in terms of our Medicaid outpatient and inpatient rates, uh, the Healthy Michigan Plan, graduate medical education funding, uh, our OB stabilization pool, and our Mm -hmm. rural access pool, all of those things need to be supported by lawmakers. We need them to support our workforce funding requests. Uh, we'll be back, I'm sure, uh, with another request for a special funding uh, to support our frontline caregivers uh, in the weeks and months ahead. There's no question we want to continue uh, that level of support. Behavioral health is a high priority, and so the legislature has an opportunity, both in terms of funding and public policy, to support our our priorities in the behavioral health realm. And then specific to this issue, uh, we need them to hear our voice and understand everything we've been talking about uh, today, uh, that this mandated nurse staffing ratio legislation is not good public policy for Michigan healthcare. And we need Mm -hmm. them to ensure that this does not get traction and to vote no if in fact this ever comes to a vote. So those are a few things that we need from our elected officials. We need them to support our call for all Michiganders to do the right thing and treat our nurses appropriately. And that means supporting legislation that would increase the fines and penalties against anyone who commits an act of violence or abuse mm-hmm. in a hospital or healthcare setting against a nurse or any other front, a frontline caregiver entirely inappropriate uh, to behave in that manner. And quite honestly, it's not helpful to our nurse recruitment and retention efforts when uh, they have to confront this sort of behavior in the workplace. And so we want our, our nurses to know we have their back. We're going to do everything we can to create a safe uh, environment for them to work, and so lawmakers can play their part by supporting legislation, both at the state and federal level. By the way, uh, that would uh, address this issue.
0: Right? Do you think it's presumptuous to say that if there's you know worsened staffing issues as a result of these bills, I think that could potentially influence you know acts of violence increasing. Would you agree?
1: Well, certainly, we found that there are triggers for patients and, and family members and caregivers and those triggers during the pandemic included masking policy quite honestly mm-hmm. we we had very stringent masking and visitation policies during the pandemic as you would would understand but a lot of folks uh, were were incredibly uh, agitated when they were told they had to wear a mask when they came in the facility, and they took out that frustration on our frontline caregivers and, and folks who, who work in the hospital setting. Um, we're quite concerned that if there are the access issues that we've discussed today, uh, if we are t- uh, telling patients and their families, I'm sorry, we don't have enough nursing staff Uh, to meet the minimum uh, mandated requirement. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we can't care for you. Good luck uh, finding the next uh, provider down the street. Uh, That could be a trigger as well. Right. Uh, And put our our folks in a very um, uncomfortable and perhaps unsafe situation. So I think you raise a a really good point, Lucy.
0: Right. Yeah. It has a strong impact on all aspects of the challenges that our healthcare workforce is facing right now. And I think that needs to be known. So how can our listeners get involved in advocating against this potentially harmful legislation?
1: Well, advocacy is really the bread and butter of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. And I have to say, uh, hats off to the Michigan Organization of Nurse Leadership. Uh, they've been wonderful partners uh, for quite some time, and particularly on, on this issue. Uh, they've been wonderful uh, allies And their ability to, uh, to share the realities uh, of this situation uh, in, in real time has been invaluable. So with that, uh, we would really encourage our listeners uh, to go to the MHA website. We have a Legislative Action Center that makes it very, very convenient and easy uh, to communicate directly with your elected officials, your state senator, your state representative. We can provide all of the key talking points and the Mm -hmm. data. We can provide the contact information for your elected officials. Uh, We really are a one-stop shop when it comes to this sort of information. And beyond the website, I would really encourage anyone who's interested in getting involved, because advocacy is not a spectator sport, as we like to say, pick up the phone, shoot us an email. Our team at the MHA is more than happy uh, to speak with you uh, about these issues as well. So we've got the information on the website, but we have real people that are here to help as well.
0: Absolutely. And that template makes it really easy, as Brian mentioned, to um, fill out and contact your local lawmakers. So I'll also provide a link to that resource in the description of the episode. Brian, I want to thank you so much um, for speaking with me today. We'll have Kim in studio in just a couple of weeks. um, And and we're really looking forward to hearing her perspective on this issue. But thank you again for kind of explaining what the bills are in really easy to understand terms and and outlining what this means, uh, you know, big picture for our hospitals and health systems.
1: Well, thank you, Lucy. Always a pleasure.
0: For the next part of this conversation, I'm pleased to welcome Kim Meeker, RN, BSN, MBA, and president of the Michigan Organization for Nursing Leadership, also referred to as MONAL, to cover what nursing staffing ratios could look like for Michigan nurses and patients. Kim, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Lucy. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here, and I appreciate you making the trip. I know the weather wasn't too good today, so we really, really appreciate it. So I just, I spoke with Brian earlier about the legislation side of this issue, um, and I, I'm just hoping that you can come in studio and talk to us a little bit about what it means for nurses and patients and really give us that firsthand insight. Um, but before we get into that, I would love if you could provide our listeners an overview of your current role and what led you to nursing. Sure.
2: Well, obviously I'm a nurse. I'm also a nurse leader in the state of Michigan, and I'm the president of MONAL. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the Michigan Organization of Nurse Leaders, what got me into nursing? I, that's really hard for me to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. I have always wanted to be a nurse. My memory all the way back was always wanting to help individuals and communities. Mm-hmm. So um, it's always been my career trajectory. Yeah, I am so proud of our profession. I and I become more and more proud of our profession, especially after what we went through. With the pandemic. So um, continuing to advocate for nurses and myself and my profession is. What I'm all about. Yeah. Did you have family
0: members that were nurses? No, but really? I
2: have. A, I had a stepfather who was a primary care physician. Okay. And so I watched him in in healthcare and in the impact that he was able to make on mm-hmm. individuals, and I think that inspired me.
0: Yeah, I have some friends who are in the healthcare field, and a couple of them, it's because they had parents or grandparents right. who were involved in it. So I was just curious if that inspired you in any way. But it's amazing you knew so early on that you wanted to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you um, explain to our listeners, if you don't mind, just a little bit of background on the Michigan Organization for Nursing Leadership? What is that organization and who's involved and what do you guys do? Sure. Well, it's a nonprofit organization
2: of nurses of all types. Mm -hmm. Um, it. It's a little confusing when we say Michigan Organization of Nurse Leaders. It makes you assume that it's only nurse leaders in the membership. But that is not the case. We consider all nurses leaders, no matter what they're doing. So we're open membership to every nurse in the state of Michigan. Um, I serve as the president. I have a very passionate group of board of directors um, who continuously advocate for the profession um, in making sure that nurses are able to work at the top of their license in the best environment that they can Experience
0: right, and you're also helping students, right? You're connecting with nursing students, people who are newer absolutely. to the profession,
2: absolutely, mm-hmm. offering
0: educational opportunities, multiples and... of different
2: types of educational opportunities, advocacy for the profession. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're constantly trying to make it better, right? right, in whatever way we can.
0: Yeah, and I know you offer tours to different facilities. What's the feedback been on those? I, oh, the, I don't that's know how been many excellent. have excellent.
2: Um, we've had, I think two at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, We call them roadshows. And so we get different organizations, hospitals within the state of Michigan and their CNOs to um, allow a group of people to come in to learn about a best practice that they have to share. Um, So... We go on these little road shows and, mm-hmm. and we learn all about what's going on. And it's a great way for, especially now post-pandemic, when it's hard to get away from the work environment, right. at least for any extended period of time, to just quickly do a day trip and really learn uh, best practices, but also meet and and uh, create relationships.
0: Yeah. And the nursing students, I'm curious, have Have you gotten any feedback into what their reasoning is to go into nursing? I'm just curious, post-pandemic, like yeah. what pe- what's driving people? Is it the pandemic? Are people feeling really inspired to be yeah. a part of that workforce?
2: There's definitely some of that. There is a group of people who, like myself, I think that are inspired by that ability to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, but nursing, just generally speaking, has always been a very uh, well-established professional career that people are interested in. Right. Now, it's it's we also have the opposite side of that going on, right? Because we know that it's difficult to be a nurse right now. And so it comes with its rewards and its difficulties. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are choosing not to go into nursing because of that. And quite frankly, that then gets us to the point of we've really got a shortage that we're working through.
0: Right, yeah. and w- And we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that I'm curious though, you bring up a good point that we did see a lot of people leaving the profession. What that's right. Why did you stay? What what made you stay? Is it just that passion that you had from the beginning stayed? Was it reinstated through the pandemic? Was there any point where you weren't sure you were gonna stick to the career or
2: no, I never had that feeling. Um I it it absolutely, is about passion. It's mm-hmm. I don't know what else I would do, quite frankly. This right. is this is my career. Yeah. Um. But I was absolutely reinvigorated by that experience, and specifically becoming a board member within Monal. That was about the fact that we had just lived through, as a nursing profession, the most rewarding and the most traumatizing experience of our careers. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we did not have the tools to. Manage the healing that would be required to go through that right. and to come out in a better place. Yeah, The tools just don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to put myself in a position to, of authority to be able to advocate for that. Um, and the president position at Monal allows me to do that. Yeah. Ro- those road shows are a perfect example of that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Brian gave us a picture of the bills that are being introduced. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping, again, that you can explore more specifically what this would look like as a nurse and also the impact it would have on Michigan patients. So as a nurse, can you help us understand why this approach to staffing does not work?
2: Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, a little bit more about me, though, before, which will give you some context. Um, I've been in nursing for 35 years and I've functioned in multiple different roles, from bedside nursing and various different practice areas to leadership roles. I've also had the ability to work in multiple different states, including the state of California, where we have mandated ratios.
0: And have for like 30 years, right? Yeah,
2: well, yeah. for quite a period of time. I don't know if it's 30 years. It might be. It's, yeah. it's certainly close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've experienced those ratios, and I've experienced life without those mandated ratios. And um, I think it gives me a unique perspective because I can come to you today to say that mandated ratios do not fix all ills. (laughs) And I think the intent of the legislation going forward is to make sure that we are increasing the nursing hours per patient Mm. day, right? Mm -hmm. And the intent is a good intent, of course. As nurses, we all want that. But it is short-sighted because we believe, as we're bringing this legislation forward, the group that is, that there are enough nurses to meet that intent when, in Mm -hmm. fact, there are not. Um, And even within the state of California, the very, very mixed results um, did not necessarily demonstrate an improvement in the ratios. In the organization that I was working in, we were outside of ratio constantly. And the state of California would come in and they would review. And quite frankly, they would say to us, we can't even continue to find hospitals because we would be doing that every day all over the state of California. Right. So it did not accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. And that's because the fundamental problem is there's just not enough nurses to meet the demand.
0: Yeah. So what did your colleagues in california think of the ratios were they did any of them find them helpful or was it kind of across the board everybody understood like this is not actually working in our favor
2: in in the facility i worked in it was very much well understood that this is not helpful mm. it well understood by the nurses that right. this just really isn't helpful
0: what has the sentiment been in your current role
2: very similar um i so i will say that ratios are meant to be a guideline. So they're one point in figuring out what is needed to provide care to patients. And nursing is extremely complex Mm -hmm. as our patients. So I think it is pretty well understood within the state of Michigan, within nurses, that that using that particular lever alone doesn't fully meet the needs of the right. patients um and i also worry that we are relinquishing our professionalism to the state of michigan mm. because we are taking all of our knowledge and years of experience in practicing the art and science of nursing and we're saying to the state yeah, just go ahead and tell us how to do it. right? And the complexity is not even being considered, right? Right.
0: And I think that that's the main thing about this. It's a one size fits all approach and no hospital, let alone, you know, section of a hospital unit is the same. So we can't put that decision in the hands of people who aren't in it. Yes, I would agree. I totally agree. So worry about that. Well, I think one of the misconceptions, and I say this from firsthand experience speaking to a friend of mine who was a nurse, is that This legislation is basically advocating for nurse staffing ratios and the opposing side where MHA and modal stand is against nurse staffing ratios, which isn't actually the case. That's not at all why uh, your organization and ours is advocating against this and encouraging others to. It's actually just we understand that nurse staffing ratios are a good thing and we don't disagree with that point. But we feel that that decision should be made by hospitals and by individual units versus the state and there shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach. And historically, as you mentioned, working in California, that approach doesn't actually address staffing shortages or help nurses in general. So I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on that misconception.
2: Ultimately, what it would result in, in my opinion and mm-hmm. in the opinion of Mono membership, mm-hmm. is decreases in access to care. Right. Because in order to meet that demand, it, to be able to meet the your friend's requirements mm-hmm. and what will Future be the state of Michigan's requirements. Yeah, we'll have to close down beds because mm. there's. I mean, we already have a shortage in the state. Right. We have over eight thousand five hundred positions posted right now in the state of Michigan, and that's not even trying to meet that very high bar that is being um, proposed with the ratios. Right. In the which, by the way, is outside of even normal guidelines in nursing in oh, many cases. Really. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. And the mandate's not going to do anything about the shortage of nurses. No,
2: it doesn't create more nurses. It doesn't cre- decrease demand. Mm-hmm. So in, in reality, what it does is either we don't meet the requirements and then there are fines associated with that, which dries up the cost of health care, or we do meet the requirements by decreasing access to care closing beds, mm. um, starting to look at what that impact would be. I think we will be closing hundreds, if not thousands, of beds across the state of Michigan wow. just to meet that those ratios.
0: So if you're a Michigan patient walking into a hospital, what does that look like for you?
2: That means extreme delays, for one thing. That means further backups in our emergency rooms because we don't have a place to put you up in in a unit, that means um, decreasing access to care, meaning you have to drive further to get care. Uh, lots of organizations, healthcare organizations across the entire country are decreasing access anyway prior to this. So they're choosing to decrease things like uh, labor and delivery um, as an example. Wow! So if that were to happen in the state of Michigan, you would have to drive much further to get your care, which can be incredibly dangerous for mom and for baby.
0: And you imagine the people that are in the UP, the people that are Northern Michigan where, you know, getting to a hospital sometimes already takes a significant amount of time. And then if those Units are closed, where do they go? What do they do?
2: That's right. And I would argue that the critical access hospitals, which are typically found in the state up in the UP area, are the ones that are most vulnerable because they have the least amount of resources available. Mm.
0: Have you heard any feedback? Or Is there anybody in Monal who's from that represents that part of the state who has strong feelings about?
2: Um, Not MONAL specifically, but we do have CNO roundtables occasionally across the state, and we hear from all over the state that there are concerns about this. I would imagine, yeah.
0: Wow. So uh, you kind of touched on it, but are there any other example scenarios where a mandate of this nature would negatively impact patients? Any other examples that maybe from California that you saw?
2: Yeah. Um, The one uh, additional example I'll give is When you impose this type of legislation and then the associated fines onto organizations that have such slim profit margins already, you have to then decrease your cost structure somewhere else to support it. So in the state of California, we did not have unit secretaries in any of our departments, um, at least in the facility I was working at. We did not have nurses' aides to the level needed because we had to put our financial resources towards our ends. And even then, we were not able to meet the requirement. Mm. So the ability for patients to receive the care that they need is slightly compromised when that full team doesn't exist. Just the ability to call into a unit. If you're a family member... And you want to know how mom's doing and you're trying to call into a unit and you don't have a unit secretary there to help answer the phone call. Now you have to wait for the nurse to be able to get to that phone call, right? right? And that's just a very simplistic example, but... um, those types of things have huge impacts. I mean, on think patients. about the
0: pandemic, the people that were trying to get in touch with their family yes. members and they were so scared they didn't know oh, what absolutely. You know, the outcome was gonna absolutely. be. Absolutely. So to have to wait, that's torturous yes. to the family members and loved ones of the yes. people that you're caring for. Which absolutely. Is, I think a really good point. Um, so in terms of tackling nurse staffing challenges on a broader scale, what do you think some of the potential solutions could be as a nurse?
2: Well, in my mind, it's increasing the um a number of nurses available within the state. And there's a variety of mechanisms to do that. None of them are uh, turnkey, like answer tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need to prepare for the future, right? So um, Michigan is not a compact state that hinders us. That means that if you are a nurse licensed in another state in um, the United States and you want to come to Michigan, you have to go through quite an ordeal to get your licensure. Mm Under a compact state, it is rather seamless and people can come in pretty easily. That is one thing we could absolutely do to ease entry into the profession. In addition, paying scholarships, tuition reimbursement, encouraging students to go into the profession, um, financially supporting that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that we know that we have nurses who are, or students who are trying to become nurses, trying to get into nursing schools, and the nursing schools are having to turn them away because they don't have the faculty available wow. to teach them. Wow. Why don't they have the faculty? Because the pay is not what it could be. Uh. And as a nurse, you could actually sometimes make more money um, doing other types of nursing than being an uh, instructor. So the state could support. Uh, The educational programs by supporting financially financially supporting faculty, and that in and of itself would increase the number of students in our in our state.
0: Yeah, one of the things I feel like we always come back to is the tie between healthcare and education, and how critical that is to have a partnership and um, you know advocate alongside each other and work together to help our healthcare workforce. So I appreciate you bringing up that point. Yeah. Any other items, or I guess any other pieces that you would say to someone who might be considering a career in nursing? Uh, what advice would you give? Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's still worth pursuing post-pandemic? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, what what do you feel being a nurse? Why? What makes yeah. it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> big <laughs> question. Yeah, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> I,
2: I absolutely would encourage people to go into nursing, and I do that on a regular basis. I get that question. And to me, what is so fabulous about this particular particular profession is the latitude you have to practice in different states, different communities, different uh, acute care settings outside of acute care, within education, within leadership. I mean, you know, If you become a welder, you're a welder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you become a nurse, you have uh, an open door to many, many, many opportunities to you. Uh, So I think that is really probably a great reason to go into nursing. In addition, it's a very rewarding profession. Now, it's not always rewarding, it's also always stressful and a little difficult, um, and certainly sometimes more difficult than others. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're making an impact on an individual patient or even whole communities. When I look back on my career, um, I remember going into nursing school, the very first day of nursing school, having to, the assignment was to write down why why nursing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to put quite a bit of thought into it. And my why was, I want to take care of the people in my community, you know, I I have friends and I have family who are all going to be seeking health care, and I want to make sure they're getting the best experience they can. Mm-hmm. And I have the ability to provide that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's very rewarding, right? Yeah. It, it just really is. Yeah. The impact that you have on an individual patient, I can tell you so many stories of patients who've come back, back to me. I've worked in the emergency room for years. Mm -hmm. People who I don't recall at all, but they'll recall me. Oh, you took care of my mother, or you took care of me when my arm was broken, or, Mm -hmm. you know, and so quite an impact that you have.
0: Yeah, it's like the gift that keeps giving in some ways. Well, I I have a friend who um, her mother sadly passed not too long ago, and she said, when one of the nursing assistants came in the room, it was like an angel stepped into the room. It was that support system that you yes. need in some of like the hardest moments of your life. Oh, yes. Um, Absolutely. And I think that that's true. What mm-hmm. you're doing is you're not just saving lives, you're helping people get through extremely difficult moments. The
2: most vulnerable moments of their existence, right? I mean, yeah. you're laying in a hospital bed, you are often fearful, you mm-hmm. don't know are, how is this going to go. And right. The nurse is the person who is the heart and the hands that is helping you through this. Absolutely.
0: And I've heard that in nursing you'll never find better colleagues. Is that true? Yeah, that's yeah. true. That is true. The best you're in the thick of it with some of the oh, yes. strongest, yes. you know, funnest people um yeah. in the industry. So. And
2: that actually was is part of what was so rewarding. And and again, the pandemic was traumatizing, but it was also rewarding because we got to come together as a profession and really show the world who we are. Mm. And we got to be creative and we got to solve problems and and really show up for our patients in a way that nobody else could. Yeah, Literally in a way that nobody else could because they couldn't get into the hospital to get to these patients.
0: Yeah, and you're still... Ch- Uh, facing the challenges of the pandemic, but it's amazing to hear in reflecting on it, you have positive things to say. I think that's really powerful. So um, where can our listeners go to learn more about Monal? Well, monal.org, right there on the internet. Nice and Um, easy. (laughs) Yes, it
2: is. And it will tell you quite a bit about our organization. And I hope that the listeners um, do take advantage of that because we are always working to increase our membership. Um, We are trying to create one unified voice, advocating for the profession, and and we would love to have people.
0: Wonderful. We'll definitely include the link to your website in the description of the episode. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners, either on the issue or just in general about nursing? Um, I think
2: I do have a couple more thoughts about things that we could be doing to improve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: I think the struggle that we have right now with um, incivility in the community and patients and families coming into the environment more angry than they've ever been, and that sometimes results in workplace violence. And so we've gotten ourselves into a situation within acute care in which nurses feel vulnerable. If we could manage that in such a way to continue to advocate for legislation that holds people accountable to that workplace violence, and makes it a safer place to be, I think that would be tremendously helpful.
0: Absolutely. And I know that we actually just uh, saw two different hospital representatives provide testimony two weeks ago on a package of bills that would increase penalties for yes. workplace violence in the healthcare setting. So, and Monal supports those bills 100%. Yeah, as does MHA. Mm-hmm. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, and you said there was another item you wanted to... Visas. Um, international
2: recruitment. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, again, trying to get to ease of entry. We want to be able to bring people not only within the United States into nursing, but outside of the United States into uh, support the nursing profession. Um, The government has a limit on the number of work visas that it approves every year. And if we could find a way within the government to um, allow for those work visas to be increased for nurses, that would be tremendously
0: helpful. Mm, That's a good point too. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, I want to thank you for making the trip here. I know it was a long one and the yeah. weather, again, wasn't great. So we really appreciate your insight. I think it's extremely valuable to this conversation.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and it helps people understand the the real impact this has on our nurse nursing workforce and also Michigan patients. So
2: I appreciate the opportunity. I feel very strongly about this. It is the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have to advocate
0: appropriately. Absolutely. We appreciate you sharing that insight. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And if you're interested in learning more about the Michigan Organization for Nursing Leadership, you can head to monal.org, as Kim mentioned. That's M O N L.org. Or you can head to MHA.org if you're just interested in learning more about the nurse staffing ratio legislation. If you're interested in getting involved, I know it was mentioned a couple times throughout the episode that we have a legislative action center that makes it really. Quick and easy to get in touch with your local lawmakers. So I would just encourage, and we appreciate anyone who already has gotten involved, to uh, join us in advocating for Michigan's workforce and patients. Also, if anybody is interested in a career in healthcare, please visit our healthcare careers page. Another link that will be in the episode's description. Lots of opportunities on that web page to get involved, not only in nursing but a whole bunch of healthcare careers that are open and looking for. More talent right now. So, well, thanks for being here, Kim.
2: Yeah. That, that <laughs> was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the My Care Champion Guest. To learn more or get involved, visit MHA.org.